Welcome back to another episode of Christ in Prophecy. We're eager to jump back into our study of Daniel. We began with an overview of this important book of prophecy with Todd Hampson, who wrote a wonderful nonprofit's guide to the book of Daniel. More on how to get a copy of this great book later. Over the last few weeks, Nathan and I have considered the narrative portions of Daniel, along with those prophecies that have already been fulfilled. Today we're joined by our teaching evangelist, Dave Bowen, as we move into those portions of Daniel's prophecies that deal with yet-to-be-fulfilled prophecies. Welcome back, Dave. Oh, it's great to be with you again. Good to have you here, Dave. Last week we offered a whirlwind overview of the prophecies recorded in Daniel that deal with history that is past to us, although it was still future when Daniel was alive. But some of the visions he interpreted were actually given to pagan kings like Nebuchadnezzar, or seemed to be directed at others like Belshazzar. But it took an anointed man of God to understand and correctly interpret those visions. We believe that everyone who has put their trust in Jesus Christ has been filled with the Holy Spirit, enabling us to understand God's prophetic word in a way that the unbelieving world never will. But that does not relieve us of the responsibility of reading, studying, and heeding Bible prophecy. You know, we could point to Revelation, which contains an actual promise of blessing for all who do just that. Read and heed the words of that prophecy. But that principle applies to the entire Word of God, opening it, reading, and studying it, and then putting it into practice, always providing a blessing to the faithful child of God. As Christians, we cannot ignore any portion of what God has chosen to reveal to us, because it's provided for our understanding and our encouragement. Or as Paul said to Timothy, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And we certainly believe that. And we pray that our conversation today is a blessing to you as well. So let's turn our attention to those prophecies in Daniel that still await fulfillment. Obviously, they are sometimes blended in with other prophecies that have already come to pass, as with the series of empires outlined in Daniel 2 and 7, as a mighty statue and a series of beasts that will be superseded by Jesus' kingdom both in the millennium and through eternity. Nebuchadnezzar saw a stone cut without hands that struck his mighty figure on its mm. feet and toes, obliterating the gold, silver, bronze, and iron and clay statue. Then he saw the stone grow to be a mountain that filled the earth. We are still awaiting that final iron clay empire, and we are certainly awaiting the final blow from the Messiah to eradicate those self-serving kingdoms of men. We also know that while Jesus is the Son of Man, as described in Daniel 7, he has not yet exercised his everlasting dominion over the peoples, nations, and men of every language. Dave, what do you think? I mean, you've made a point that Daniel 2 and 7 hearken to ages in the past. So what's your point on the, that you would like to make on well, this? Well, you understand that Daniel chapter 2 is the human perspective on what's happening. And the whole theme of the book of Daniel is the time of the Gentiles. So chapter 2 is the human perspective. That's why we have those. And chapter 7 is God's perspective on the theme of the book of Daniel. Okay, so I want to come back to another point that Nathan just made, uh, that some would claim Jesus is reigning right now. He is obviously ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father. How would we respond to that assertion since it basically determines our understanding of the prophetic timeline for the end times? In other words, are all the things outlined in Daniel fulfilled in the past? Or are they fulfilled in the present? 
are they awaiting future fulfillment, including the reign of the Messiah? I would say yes, yes, and yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because we got to understand that God is eternal, right? So you have to go to the Bible to see, is God reign? Is Jesus Christ sitting on the throne up in heaven? Yes, He is. He reigns eternal. He's sovereign. He reigns over the church as the head of the church. But is He sitting on the Davidic throne? The throne promised Him to be on this earth during this kingdom. And I think all we have to do here is go to 1 Corinthians 15, 28 and says, now when all things are made subject to him, the Father, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be all in all. And then Hebrews 2.8, we do not yet see all the things that are put under him. So these verses are telling us and others that Jesus Christ hasn't then yet accepted this kingdom that he was promised to sit on the Davidic throne. So yes, he's sovereign over all, but he's not ruling and reigning over this kingdom now. He's not exercising that dominion, so to speak. But, yeah. but don't you see Daniel being like the book of Revelation to where it moves from earth to heaven, from heaven to earth, and we keep going back and forth because yes, he's still in heaven. But that, that fourth kingdom, the, the, the little horn that comes up in Daniel, we, we know that's going to be the Antichrist. Well, we see that on earth, but then the heavenly kingdom will come back and destroy all that when you get to the ten toes. So you see the earth, heaven, heaven, earth. You see that going back and forth. So to ask that question, I, I think it's a combination of both. And it is. If the stone is supposed to grow and fill the entire, right. that's Jesus Christ. That's His kingdom. And part of the aspect of the Millennial Kingdom is that all the peoples know Jesus. They go up to Jerusalem and see Him, mm -hmm. at least for the Feast of Tabernacles. And He's ruling and reigning with a rod of iron. Do we see that today? Absolutely not. We're still in the times of the Gentiles, meaning human Gentile governments are running the world. And really, the, the ruler of the world, in, in a great sense, is still Satan. And we can look at mm -hmm. Paul's writings to the church at Corinth. In chapter 4, verse 4, he calls Satan the god of this world. Little g god, Nathan, yes, we'll make that g. clear. Little g god of this world. We can go to Ephesians 2, 2, where Satan is called the power of or excuse me, the prince of the power of the air and the spirit who is now working in the sons of disobedience. So we mm -hmm. know that Satan has been given for a time authority over earth. We could almost argue that mankind uh, relegated the, the dominion we were given in the garden because of sin to Satan. And that's why when Jesus was tempted by Satan, Satan could offer him the kingdoms of the world. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't an empty offer. He, he possessed them and Jesus declined at that moment because it was not yet time for Jesus to exercise his dominion and that's by his own power and authority and choice, the and will that, of the Father. Yeah, and that's why we've seen the Catholic Church traditionally, it, people who take the amillennial or spiritualization of Scripture, they look at the ecclesiastical kingdom, right, right. the kingdom over the church where Jesus is the head and the church rules and reigns over this earth supposedly. But it's very different than the prophecies dealing with the Davidic kingdom, that fourth aspect of Christ's kingdom where he's physically ruling and reigning from Jerusalem and he rules over all the Gentile nations. The Jewish people are a priestly group and we in our glorified bodies serve him. I, I don't know about you guys, but I look out the window and I do not see that now. So no, no. Jesus is ruling and reigning from his spiritual and ecclesiastical position. Ecclesiastical means church. But he's not ruling his kingdom, his Davidic kingdom, which we know better as the millennial kingdom. And we have to understand that Daniel, again, all the prophecies given to him is about his people. So yep. it's about Israel and the Jewish people. And you talk about, again, the theme of the book of Daniel being the time of the Gentiles. Well, what, what is that time? When does it start? When does it end? Mm -hmm. It starts with Nebuchadnezzar, basically, because that's when the Gentiles, gold, right? yeah, that's when Gentiles are oppressing both the people and the land of Israel. But people in the Christian realm, I think, have said, well, it ends at the rapture then, when the church is pulled out. But no, because mm -hmm. Gentiles will 
will still rule over Israel and the land. So it doesn't end until we get the Lord Jesus Christ coming back and that, that last kingdom, that little horn is defeated. And that's a long time. Are you talking yes. about Nebuchadnezzar 586 when he finally conquered Jerusalem to yes. To the near future, yeah. Yeah. that's 25, 2600 years as times of the Gentiles. So we, yeah, 605 was the first time when he came in there, so basically we can 19 make a, years. We can make a dramatic application right now to us. Uh, 1 John 5, 19 tells us that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And that's a present tense mm -hmm. lies. It's not mm -hmm. that he it lied in his power before or at some point in the past. Right now, as John was writing that epistle, the, the world lies in the power of the evil one. There is an exception to that rule, and that is the, the child of God. I do not lie in the power of the evil one. So through the power of Christ in me, through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, Satan has no authority over me by virtue of my faith in Christ. And so I can say, get thee behind me, Satan, even as he nips at my heels constantly, he doesn't have power over us who are followers of Christ. But you can only say that because you know the Word of God. Yes. And we have to be in the Word of God to understand that. Daniel, Daniel had the Word of God. He knew through Jeremiah that the, the time they'd be in Babylon would be 70 years. He knew through Hosea and I, Isaiah and Hosea um, that Cyrus would be there. He knew things about, he knew repentance was important to have the, the kingdom of God come. But he also did not understand the timing of it as you're talking about that. Because as he was praying in Daniel 9, we look at the 70, 70, you know, the 70 weeks of Daniel in, in Daniel 9. But as he's praying, we see the, the angel Gabriel interrupts him. And he kind of stops in his prayer because Daniel's thinking that the kingdom, God's kingdom will come after the 70 years are done. At that point, the, everything's happened. And he's saying, no, 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 there's going to be many more years there's after more that. more years. And there's other kingdoms to rise. Absolutely. So let's go to that point. So the next entity I think we need to discuss, we talked about Satan, uncapitalized for you, I know, <laughs> Dave. Uh, he's a loser. Yeah, he's a loser. <laughs> but we also have another entity that's going to rise in the end times in this final kingdom that appears both in Nebuchadnezzar's vision of the statue and of Daniel's vision of the beast, and rising from that final kingdom of iron is this iron-clay mixture of an empire uh, represented by feet and toes in the statue and the dreadful and terrifying beast in, with ten horns mm -hmm. in Daniel's vision. Mm -hmm. This king, coming kingdom is described in great detail in chapter 7, verses 19 through 26. So, what does this prophecy involve? Who is this pointing to? What entity am I alluding to? Well, the little horn is another name for the Antichrist. Right. The eventual culmination of global government will be a one world ruler. So we started with Nebuchadnezzar, who, even though he didn't rule the entire world, as it relates to Israel, he was the ruler. He was the head of gold. We go through Greek, uh, the Medo-Persian Empire, then the Greek, then the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. It finally gets to this ten-toe configuration, which we believe will either be Europe divided into ten regions, but I think it's more the entire world and the UN for the last since the 1950s has been talking about dividing the world into ten regions, ten toes, and a little horn will rise up, subdue three, and he will be elevated to be king of the world. Mm. You only have to watch Davos, which is, you know, the, the World Economic Forum meetings. That's what they want. They want this world yeah. leader who will usher in peace and force the world into their agenda. And we're seeing that played out today. Yes, but the Club of Rome's also divided the world into ten. Don't know if that yes. will last, but the Club of Rome's done that. But you're uh -huh. saying verses 19 to 26. And again, that's where it moves from from earth to heaven. Because 19 is the little horn, as you're talking about. But 26 is the Ancient of Days. Yes. Mm. And we cannot, you know, we've got to stay focused on the Ancient of Days. We've got to stay focused on the Lord Jesus.
Jesus Christ and what's going to happen. Ever and always. As a matter of fact, even when we talked about the Antichrist and Satan in recent shows, mm -hmm. we emphasize that, yes, we're going to talk about these nefarious characters, these losers, as, mm -hmm. as you call them, mm -hmm. but we're always going to turn our attention back to Jesus Amen. Christ. Amen. And that is where our blessed hope lies. So there's one other great prophecy from Daniel that we all long to be fulfilled, and that is the coming of the Messiah in glory. That's outlined also in chapters 7 and 11. Mm -hmm. But before we get to the Messiah who will overthrow the Antichrist and his global empire, the world has to endure a period of great tribulation. Something that, or terrible tribulation and great tribulation, something you alluded to. Daniel was expecting a soon yeah. fulfillment of other yeah. expectations, and the angel said, No, Daniel, your timing is off. So, where is the evidence for this seven year calamity in Daniel, and why did he not see? this portion of prophecy with such great clarity. We have to go to Daniel 9 and understand what's called the 70 week prophecy. Correct. So basically, not to go into sevens and sevens and all that, but let's just say 490 years were prophesied from a decree that was given for the rebuilding of the temple to the Messiah being cut off. Mm -hmm. And so we know 490 years, if you use Sir Robert Anderson's calculations, uh, Artaxerxes made that decree on March 14th, 445 BC. You adjust for, this is uh, 360 day calendar years, you adjust for leap years and, and all this, you go right up to Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. I mean, it's that specific. It's just, <laughs> every time I go through those calculations, it blows my mind that he prophesied that the Messiah would cut off, and that was the, uh, what we call Palm Sunday and today. 483 right. years, years of right. those 490. And so what we're left, what we're left with is a seven-year time period that, because he's cut off, has to be tacked on to the end. Correct. And we know that there's times, time, and half a times, there's three and a half years, which is the second half of that seven years, the Great Tribulation. So it gets kind of complex when you do all the calculations, but... To me, the fact that these calculations came out exactly to Jesus' triumphal entry proves the Bible is the Word of God. Because well, this prophecy was given and this calculation came so out So why exactly. didn't Daniel understand all that with any greater clarity than, than he did, do you think? Yeah. Well, he didn't have that insight with it. He had the scriptures. He understood what was going to happen. But he thought the kingdom of God would come once, once Israel was brought back to the land. And when he was told that after 70 years, you come back, Jeremiah told him that. Well, that must be when the kingdom of God would come. Disciples thought the same thing. Yeah. That, yeah. that, that the kingdom of How God would come. How could the Messiah be so, cut off? What's, what's interesting to me, though, is that the Jewish people, this is all about the Jewish people. He keeps saying, Daniel, your people, you know about your people. Why did the Jews still reject Jesus? It becomes part of this timing that you're talking about here, Nathan, because in Scripture there's nine end times prophecies that they're looking for, that, that the Messiah will come. You got to put the church age in there because Jesus only fulfilled three of them. Uh -huh. You know, there was oppression, there was a forerunner, he was proclaimed to be God, but the rest, Jerusalem was not attacked, worlds didn't come against it, but the church age, what you're talking about, is in there and then everything will come together I perfectly. Think the, oh, this, this idea of having a false expectation, seeing some things mm -hmm. clearly but maybe a little bit skewed, is proven even after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection in Acts chapter 1. Right before Jesus ascends into heaven, it records in verse 6, So when they had come together, meaning the apostles, the disciples, they were asking Him, saying, Lord, is it at this time yes. You are restoring the kingdom to Israel? They still didn't, yes, get, they didn't get that it. there would be a delay, that there was much work for them to do. And Jesus said, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then He goes on to describe their mission. Just, just go your way right. to do what I've told you to do. 
it's not for you to know the times and epochs. I think Daniel, as great a prophet as he was, and I revere him highly, he was looking forward through a glass dimly. We liken it to standing on a mountaintop and looking at other mountaintops down the cascading range and not realizing that there are intervening valleys between those mountaintops. And so he saw the mountaintops, sometimes they were a little misty, and he recorded what he saw, but he didn't have the blessing even that we have of hindsight. We know that there was a period of time until the Messiah came. Mm -hmm. We know mm -hmm. that the Messiah was given a name, Jesus, by which we can be saved. And we know that there have thus far been almost 2,000 years from his ascension as we still await the fulfillment of even the prophecies Daniel described. And yet, Daniel's students, the Magi, 500 years later, mm -hmm. knew the calculations, they knew the Messiah had arrived, and they made a four-month journey to go visit him. Mm -hmm. Jesus chides the Pharisees because they had the Daniel's prophecy. Yes. They knew to the day that this had to be the Messiah. His miracles proved it. And like his parable about the, the workers in the vineyard who reject the son and kill him, they knew exactly what they were doing. They knew he was the Messiah oh. because they knew Daniel. Nobody better. Now, the apostles, they were fishermen. They weren't as studied in Torah as, as the... But there's no excuse for the Pharisees. They knew exactly what they were doing. And, and therefore, yeah. there's really no yeah. excuse for us because we have the completed yeah. canon of yeah. Scripture. We have even more. Than and we have even more and hindsight. We so have there the Holy no Spirit. Yeah. Amen, Because brother. Peter Amen. says we didn't get it until the Holy Spirit, until Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. Then we got it. So you look at this. We can had the Word but without the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was sent both as a comforter and to lead us into yes. all truth, to give yes. us understanding and discernment. So yes. we, we too, folks, are without excuse. We still look through a glass dimly toward the future, but let's be very frank. The whole idea of being blessed by reading and heeding requires first that we read Amen. and study. All right, for just a moment, we're not going to fix it, fixate or focus very long, but let's talk about this nefarious character. We've discussed Satan's role. Uh, let's hit some of the high points in describing the Antichrist. Who is he? Is he around today? And will he be manifest prior to the rapture? Well, let me read you some of the descriptive verses that the Bible gives so we can identify him, which, again, if we're Christians, we're going to be raptured. We won't recognize him. But the world has prophecy, whether they read the Bible or not. This is what he's like. He's a braggart. He's an egotist. He's a blasphemer. He's always blaspheming God. He persecutes Christians and Jews. He's insolent. He's deceptive. He's very shrewd. He's probably one of the smartest men ever. But he's demonically possessed by Satan. He's destructive. He's very willful. He's a sexual pervert, mm. totally fitting of this time period. He's militaristic. He comes in peace, but he brings global war. And he's very materialistic. He loves the pleasures. He is the antichrist, the opposite of Jesus Christ. Well right. said, Nathan. Well right. said. And we get that even in Matthew 24. We get it in other places in the scripture, too, where Jesus said, beware in the end times. These things will happen. And it's just to look around our world today. Mm. It's, it's, again, it's the, they could not understand it. We have the hindsight to look back and say this is exactly what God was talking okay, about. Okay, so with hindsight, uh, there are people today who like to play the parlor game of trying to determine who is the Antichrist. We don't it's Justin Trudeau. Yeah, we don't believe. You heard it here first. No, folks, we, we're, we're joking. Send the emails to Nathan. Yeah, emails to Nathan. <laughs> but if, if he's not going to be manifest prior to the rapture, do you think Satan has a candidate? Ready to go right now? I think he's had one for every generation because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no one knows the day or the hour, including that loser. 
So he had to have somebody that could fit that profile in every generation. But we do know we can narrow it down to he will be a descendant of the people who destroyed the temple. In 780, that was the Romans. Sure, the Romans conscripted a lot of Syrians, but all four legions were based around Rome. So we know that he will be Southern European. So he's not a Muslim from Pakistan. He's not an American president. He is going to be a European because the European Union, according to Daniel, will rise come back. and it will the world will be like what the Roman Empire's yeah. returned and he will be head of that so after we're gone we're raptured and someone's watching this episode please know that the Antichrist who rises out of Europe and becomes the world leader who has these characteristics he will persecute all Christians and Jews and try to kill them and arguably the world is already clamoring for a, a little less savior actually they would mm -hmm. probably give him a capitalist they want a, a Messiah figure to come mm -hmm. and, and rescue us from the calamities that befall us we quoted Paul Henry Spock who, who said whether he be God or, or, or devil we will embrace him if he can lead us out of the, the social and the political and the financial morass and as the world grows greater and greater in chaos I think more and more people will clamor for this kind of, of great leader just as they did in Germany in the 30s. So let's, let's turn our attention back for just a moment to this period between the 69 weeks as you described them, mm -hmm. uh, Nathan with the 483 years and the final week of years. We have a very detailed description of that horrific period that's going to fall on the earth. So what are some of the calamities prophesied in the Word of God for those who reject the Lord's offer of salvation? We're talking about the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation fills in what's going to happen during those seven years. The yes. church, according to, you, know, you have to go to Paul's teaching in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, the church, in other words, if you're saved, you're a member of the church. We will be raptured out of here. Mm -hmm. The world will go into chaos. And then when you start reading the book of Revelation, Daniel prophesied that a peace treaty will be made between the Antichrist the and the yep. Israel and the many mm. for seven years, which is the exact amount of time. And it's called Daniel's 70th week prophecy. And that's how we know the tribulation will be seven years with the first half being pretty good for Israel. They're protected from the Antichrist taking over the world during that treaty. But the second half when he's possessed the by Satan, tribulation. yeah, the great tribulation. You could probably tell well, us the more Jews about would that. think it is the millennial period. Yeah. Look at everything they, they want it back in that, that first part when the when the promise is made. But when you look at again the Roman Empire, you mentioned that. All those other world empires, the statues, the toes, they were defeated. Romans weren't. They imploded. So the Antichrist would come in. Some kind of global event has to happen, i.e. the rapture. That's and when something think. like that happens, you know, the world will be in chaos, and someone will come in and say, I have peace with you. I have a plan. And why peace? I think God is supernaturally protecting Israel. You've got Psalm 83. You've got things happening in our world right now that could lead to that. God will supernaturally protect Israel. So the prophet, I mean, the Antichrist would come in and say, let's do a peace pact with Israel. Because now everybody gravitates. And people would be so hungry that they're going to gravitate to anybody. That's a good point. The Jews initially during that seven-year period when the Antichrist offers mm -hmm. them peace, you can rebuild your temple, which mm -hmm. they will very quickly, mm -hmm. they'll think we finally arrived back at a moment of oh, primacy yeah. Yeah. and they'll be happy. But the Antichrist will turn on them halfway yes. through when, the, when Satan indwells the Antichrist and he turns his rage once again on the Jewish people. And Revelation tells us there will be 21 judgments from God happening at that same time. So as the oh. Antichrist is roaring over the earth and demons are released to punish mankind, there will also be horrific natural disasters that which, which all but destroy most of the earth. And I think the reason for that is if you look back to the 
10 plagues on Egypt, mm -hmm. God knocked down each of those yes. Egyptian <laughs> gods. He's going to knock down the God of earth worship that seems yes. to be prevalent. Today. He certainly is. Well, you've given all actually a good preview of a coming series right. we have on Revelation, this grand finale of the Word of God. But is there any other reference to this period, the tribulation in Scripture, that which is still to come, described in Daniel, that we can find? And specifically, did Jesus have anything to say about oh, this Matthew period? 24. It's very easy. You can go yeah, to Matthew Luke 21, go Luke. Yeah, you can Mark go Luke. 13. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the guys are coming out of the temple and they're looking at the structure. Herod was a, a master builder. He should have been known for his building. He was a madman. You know, and while they're looking at that, he takes them to the Olivet Discourse, the teaching on the Mount of Olives, and begins the end times. And people say, well, everybody is earthquakes and famines and all that things. That's been happening for ages. Why, are we, why is it different today? Why is it any different for us? Well, Israel's a nation. Jerusalem yeah. is the capital, yes. and the Jews are back in the homeland. Those three things had to happen for everything else to kick into place. And we believe that those things could have happened very quickly, even throughout this last 2,000 years. So Christians were always told to be alert, to right. watch for the Lord's coming, because things can happen very quickly. Today, there are some who claim, well, the prophecies have to be fulfilled before Jesus can come. No, the rapture can occur at any, any time, yep. but the second coming is preceded by some other signs like the temple being rebuilt. And that's the glorious end to the tribulation. When the world is at its darkest, when people are suffering, when the Antichrist is going mad and assembling the world to Armageddon for one last battle, Jesus Christ rips through the sky, the saints, that's us, follow him, the angels follow him, and we watch Jesus Christ just speak a word, and the armies melt before him, and he sends Satan to the deep pit, and the false prophet and Antichrist go into the lake of fire or hell. Uh, what a glorious end to a, the worst time in human what a glorious end. It's important for urgency. You mentioned that before. We should always have urgency because Daniel had a heart for his people. If there's one thing I appreciate about the book of Daniel, it's the heart that he had for his people, the Jewish people. He repented. He, he, was, he was a righteous man, yet he took on that repentance for his people. And we need to do the same thing. We love you and care for you as much as Jesus does. And he cares for you and wants you to understand what day we live in and how important it is to know him. Many of the same people who scoff at the idea that Daniel could have recorded his book of prophecy prior to events transpiring, just as he foretold, have a hard time believing that his still future prophecies will come to pass. They remind me of scoffers of Revelation that complain the visions John recorded are just too hard to understand. Henry Morris, the founder of the Institute for Creation Research, hit the nail on the head when he said, Revelation is not hard to understand, it is hard to believe, but if you will believe it, you will understand it. Well, I find it tremendously encouraging to know that God has revealed His plans for humanity to His prophets, and that the record of His revelations have been faithfully passed down to us today. Daniel demonstrates that God is God, and that He knows the beginning from the end, and has chosen to tell us in advance that He has everything under control. Oh, absolutely. Daniel also offers encouragement that we determine to, to live godly lives even in a pagan society. You know, that we, we will be able to be lights even in the darkness. I'm also encouraged to know that we can understand aspects of Daniel's prophecies that even that highly esteemed man found perplexing. We have the gift of hindsight to, to things he looked through a glass dimly to, to see, and, and we can witness many prophecies coming to pass all around us right now. One of our recurring themes in recent years is the acceleration of prophetic signs and their convergence. So Nathan, how do you see that playing out with regard to Daniel's still future prophecies? Well, Daniel was told to go your way, for the words are concealed and sealed up to when? The end of time. As the end of time approaches, we're able to understand some of the very prophecies Daniel found elusive. 
contrasted with the wicked who act wickedly, those of us who follow after Jesus Christ are assured that we will have insight to understand. And that is tremendously encouraging. Oh, yes. I'm also encouraged by the final words in Daniel. Uh, the prophet was told to go your way to the end, meaning his end. He was told that he would enter his rest and rise again for his allotted portion at the end of the age. Now, whether we live to see the rapture with our mortal eyes or not, we simply need to go our way, the way to our end. If we have entered our rest from this life, we too are assured that we will rise again for our allotted portion, meaning the glorified body we will receive at the rapture. The crowns He will give us and the work He will assign us in the Millennial Kingdom. Amen and amen. You know, Daniel is such an exciting book for those who trust in God. It is filled with exemplars, or what I call role models, for us to emulate. Next week, we will return once again to Daniel to make some very specific and timely applications for our lives today. If you haven't already acquired a copy of Todd Hampson's wonderful Nonprofits Guide to the Book of Daniel, I'd encourage you to order one today. Just visit our online store or call the number on the screen. For only $20, we'll be glad to send you Todd's wonderful book. As we look forward to the rapture of the church and the second coming of our Lord, we mm. remain determined to serve Him until the end. Mm. If He tarries for another week, we'll also look forward to seeing you back for another episode of Christ in Prophecy. Godspeed. Mm.